Hey, what's up, friends? I'm Vince Del Monte, father, husband, and the OG of online fitness marketing. For more than a decade, I've been committed to helping skinny guys pack on muscle. And after building multiple seven-figure online fitness businesses, I've achieved freedom and financial security through mentorship, hard work, and my passion for fitness. And I want to help you do the same. Recently, I've built the best mastermind coaching program that exists for fitness professionals by giving you the shortest no BS path to grow to six, seven, and even eight figures regardless of your starting level. My coaching was designed to give you the skills, systems, and support to become an industry mover and shaker and build the business and life of your dreams. Hey, welcome back friends to the Vince Del Monte podcast. I want to dive right into this conversation today as we kick off the first episode in season two of Mondays with Men of Bedrock. In today's episode, my brother Adrian is talking to Mike Pantil, fellow Italian gym owner, holder of many national powerlifting records, and recent up-and-coming voice in the men's movement to refine what masculinity should look like. In this conversation, they get into some great stuff. How Mike overcame feelings of unworthiness to lose 115 pounds in 14 months. Why suffering is the only bridge to become what Mike calls the glorious man. And they even get into something that seems a little silly to me, but that we wanted to learn more about, which is the movements of the blue pill and the red pill. This is another fantastic conversation for all men who want to keep elevating their game as business owners, husbands, fathers, and leaders in 2023. Adrian, Mike, Take it away. Thanks, Vince. I am here with Mike, and we are excited for a great conversation. Mike, thanks for being on the Vince Del Monte podcast show. You ready to roll? I'm ready to roll, man. It's an honor. Thank you for having me on. So, Mike, this episode is going to air right around Christmas. Christmas for Italians typically involves a lot of carbohydrates, S-cookies, panettones. Uh, Tell me, what does Christmas look like for you? So this year it's a bit different because we're in Alberta. We're we're uh, my wife was raised here. She was born in Lebanon. So we're gonna be we're gonna be going to church service on Christmas Eve, and we haven't really figured out what we're doing for dinner afterwards yet. Whether it's you know the in laws or we're just gonna do it solo. Uh, Christmas Day is gonna be with uh, her best friend and her best friend's family. But you know, much like you growing up, you know, especially growing up in, in a Roman Catholic old school Italian family, uh, we didn't have meat on Christmas Eve. It was always. It was bacala and prawns and salad and two, you know, you got the the red sauce pasta and the fish sauce pasta. Dude, I grew up with that stuff and, and I love it. And it's so nostalgic. But man, you know, I just want some meat on Christmas Eve too, man. Like call me a sinner. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> You're okay. So what was it like? Like, were you the kid growing up at high school that brought the rapini and like the minced garlic? Like, what did it look like growing up for you? Absolutely. So I was raised primarily by, you know, my mother, my nonno and my bisnonna, my his mom. And, you know, she passed away when she was in her 90s. So I was absolutely, you know, entrenched in sort of the traditional Italian culture. So I was that kid that I went with I went to school with like a three course meal. For lunch, for lunch. (laughs) Exactly. And a lot of times, you know, because elementary school, I lived across the street, I would just go across the street and just eat at home. And, you know, I just remember, you know, when we're on recess or lunch or whatever, my no no or my tio or my mom yelling from the the window, I love you, Mike, I love you, Mike. <laughs> and you know what was funny, man? All my friends were always so embarrassed by their parents and them, you know, expressing that kind of love. I just always embraced it. You know, when my no no would drop me off at school or my mom would drop me off at school, even though it was across the street, I gave him a big hug and a big kiss. And uh, that's what I love about Italian culture, man. And and I, you know, I made a post about this today. It's like, you know, show your brother that you you, you love him. As Italians, I'm sure you can relate, Adrian, and same thing with Vince, is that we have no issue with that. We're passionate people. <laughs> oh, yeah, right? Like, it's 
it's the the kissing the but part of that was like a little bit like i don't speak italian so we grew into our culture i appreciate so much now but it shapes who you are that connection to your family can i ask though you you've talked and i've seen you write about it online you've lost 100 pounds like mm-hmm. what are those stats give me those stats yeah so uh, i clocked in at my heaviest it was uh june 2014 i was 306 pounds you were 306 in June of 2014. How long did it take you to go down? So August 2015, I did a photo shoot and I was 190 pounds. 16 months, 14 months. Uh, yeah, I was, yeah, somewhere around there. And uh, completely uh, drug-free, even supplement-free. It was just one of those things. I'm a pretty uh, intense guy. I'm a pretty passionate guy. So when I when I get to something, I'm obsessive and I, I don't stop. You know, much like my page every day, I'm just like trying to produce content. I'm trying to like pull back. Um, but yeah, it became an obsessive thing for me because coming from a, a you know, a mostly overweight Italian family, mind you, I was doing powerlifting at that time too. So it wasn't like completely just all fat. It was mostly fat. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I, I, I sort of dreamer bulked my way up to 300 plus pounds. I did a couple of competitions. I was very mediocre as a super heavyweight powerlifter. So I said, I woke up one day and being a 21 year old guy at the time, I believe that I was not being able to walk a flight of stairs, having a low back pump, just doing basic things and um, falling asleep seemingly out of nowhere all the time. It was just, it was awful. My blood pressure was super high. It wasn't worth it. So I just woke up one day and said, Hey man, enough is enough. This is, this is terrible. I'm not going to last very long if I keep up this. So before, before we go, cause I want to talk about that day when you woke up, mm-hmm. but before we get there, I think there's incredible power in thinking about how we got there. Like talk me through from the days on the yard when you were having three lunches <laughs> to when you got to 306 pounds, like how did that, was it normalized? You said a lot of your family was, you know, Italian, enjoyed food, et cetera, et cetera. How did you get like how did you get there? Yeah, so I was always an overweight kid. You know, me and my brother, you know, luckily he grew out of it too. He's into the gym as well. But you know, we were always overweight kids. We were always just fed, fed, fed much. You know, you could probably relate to that. Manja. Manja. Manja, manja. <laughs> That's exactly it. And especially yeah. raised with my immigrant grandparents too. It was it was very much a thing. And you know, everybody was overweight. And so it was it was normal. And it was a weird thing because I was a, a good athlete in school. I was the captain of all my my teams growing up, but I was always like a heavier guy. And to be completely honest, I thought I was just always going to be at the mercy of my genetics. You know, I ate a lot. And a lot of that now looking back, reflecting on it was, you know, I ate for comfort, right? That's that's where our comfort comes from as Italians, or at least part of it. Um, and I didn't realize how, you know, deleterious to my health it was. And I just felt I was always just going to be this, 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 this fat kid. Dude, I'll tell you, when I would go out and buy button-down shirts, I would I would do something called the treep test and treep is just a a slang way of saying stomach in Italian. So I would I would button it and then I would sit down and I'd puff my belly out and if it like it was just a little bit of of give on the buttons I would buy it and if it didn't I was embarrassed because as soon as I got bloated I would just like the, the buttons would just split open. I remember that distinctly. I said I'm always going to be like this and so when I discovered powerlifting I think it was in 2012 or 2013 actually I'm celebrating 10 years this month. So it's 2012. I said, Oh, so I can lift weights and kind of be fat and unbeknownst to me at the time that that wasn't the way to do it. But I was like, okay, great. You know, I don't got to change my situation. And my, my whole mentality was kind of funny too. I said, if I can just make my chest and my shoulders wide enough, maybe my stomach won't look so, <laughs> won't look so big. I mean, that didn't really work, but that's at least what got the ball rolling. And I was always teased for it. And 
I always looked at my, you know, thinner friends and thought, man, it would just be so amazing to, to, to be smaller and look, look at myself in that way because I was always insecure about it, deeply, deeply insecure about it. As you, as you put on the weight and, you know, and it was probably over a long period of time, like, you know, 20 years or whatever. Mm-hmm. My, my question is when you started like, changing when you started saying, you know, I'm going to start making, I'm going to start focusing on the gym. How'd your family react to that? And I asked this, Mike, because so many guys in the group, in our group that we work with, my friends, they want to change. And the family's perception of them is often like holding them back just a little bit, not, not on purpose, but it's just like, they don't know the new you. They just saw the old you. That's who they, that's who they grew up with. They just saw Mike you know, the Panatonic kid, you know, so it's being great. <laughs> and so I'm wondering, like, how did they respond? Like, was was their reaction? How did they react? You know, it, it was very positive. What I can say about, because I wasn't raised with my dad, but I can say about my mom and my mother's side of my family, they've always been extremely supportive. Even my grandfather, my nonno, even, even though he didn't understand it, he was very supportive of it as well. And, he, you know, he always bought stuff in the house that was that was healthier and very much supported that that process. And my mom, you know, absolute angel, She's always just been my biggest champion in that way. So I had a really strong familial support and backbone to really fall back on. And there was times that I, you know, yo-yo died and I failed, but never did I feel that my family held me back. You know, there were times at dinners are like, you know, just eat, eat, enjoy yourself. And obviously it's all well-intentioned, but I'm so blessed to say that my family was actually extremely in support of that decision. Let's go to that one day when you woke up and you're like, okay, enough is enough. What do you think led to that moment? Yeah, it was it was how I felt. My, you know, I had really high blood pressure as a young man. You know, at the time being a single dude, you know, women weren't even looking in my direction because I was just, you know, I just, I just looked unhealthy. It was super overweight, and I just was tired of being tired, and I was tired of being in pain. And so, I woke up and I said, "There's, there's something's got to give here." So the first thing that I did is I, I did some research on at the time. You know, it was IIFYM if it fits your macros, right? And I was like, "Man, this is too good to be true." So I'll never forget. And because there was a question in that document you sent me that was, what are the sort of two or three most distinct moments in that yeah. trans- transformative process? Well, number one, it was that first day because I woke up. I said, okay, I was 306 pounds. I had come to the conclusion somehow through a calculator <laughs> that I was going to eat 3000 or 2900 calories, whatever it was. I'm like, okay. So I downloaded my fitness pal. I went to London drugs and I bought a food scale. I, I'll, I'll never forget that drive there and went home and I started doing the thing. And I said, I got to put this to the test. This can't just be an energy balance thing. You know, there's got to be some trick, but that's exactly what it was. It was calories in, calories out. So as soon as I started doing that and the the weight started to come off, I said, holy crap. But to put it to the test, (laughs) I was eating McDonald's, gas station food, restaurant food, making it fit within those macros. And obviously I felt like crap. I was hungry all the time. You know, I wasn't getting my micronutrients or my fiber. So obviously I felt like, you know, felt like crap, but. I did lose weight. And all of a sudden it was like a light bulb that went off in my head. And I said, dude, so I'm not enslaved to my genetics is what you're saying. I don't have to just eliminate carbohydrates and, and, you know, olive oil and all this stuff. It's no, it's just, you just got to be moderate in your, you know, your portion sizes and, you know, your choices. Mm. And so it was just a discipline thing. You have referred a couple of times here to, um, at the mercy you mentioned I'm at the mercy of my genetics. And now you've just mentioned I'm not enslaved. There's some sort of like biblical language there, Mike. <laughs> and I don't know if it's intentional, but I'm curious, like, did it feel like you were trapped? 
Is that what like your uh, like the three hundred six is going to become three fifty and then three ninety and then five? Like, is that how you felt? Like, that's exactly how I felt. I felt that I wasn't well. It, it was deep rooted, right? Uh, it's only in my sort of recent faith walk and getting baptized and I realized that I said I, I didn't feel like I was worthy of losing the weight. And that's I think a lot of overweight people can relate to that. It's it's a hey, listen, that you are you know you're not at the mercy of this stuff, and it is biblical language because I just. I'm so rooted in the word now compared to before. So it's, it's, it's coming out in some, in some kind of way. Um, but I didn't feel, um, I, that I was deserving of it. I didn't feel worthy. And I felt that I was always just going to be trapped in that shell because I, I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, I know I have potential that's greater than this. I don't know where that came from. Obviously it's God. I know that now, but I said, man, I, I know I'm capable of more than this. How do I go about actualizing that potential? And so that was the first crucial step in that process. And, you know, praise God that I, that I did that because on the back of that was my fitness business. And now, you know, how I make my living, just, just incredible how that all works out. But it wasn't for that reason. It was just, I just, I'm in pain and I'm tired of being in pain. I need to change it. Yeah. I, I like the biblical language, to be honest. One of my favorite passages is in Ephesians when the apostle Paul talks about putting off and putting on. And whether you're a faith person or not, this this is a good example of there are certain things we have to put off and certain things we have to put on, new habits, old habits. Can you can you talk about the things that you had to to put on, the new habits? Like, okay, you bought the food scale, you got the my fitness pal. What else did you have to do? Like, what is this? Was it hard like to lose a hundred pounds? Like, was it did it test you or was it just incorporating certain systems that you could rely on? What did your like strategy to to doing this look like? The way I like to explain this is is the way that I, I like to explain lifting weights and why it's so crucial for men to do it. There's a divinity in suffering, and there you know lifting weights also fundamentally changes your relationship with pain. So I had already built this base of lifting weights, and I got decently strong. So I was kind of already used to being uncomfortable, and so as soon as I started to see those results, I said, okay, well. All I have to do is suffer momentarily. And at the other side of the suffering, I'm going to meet my other self and it's going to be glorious and all that stuff. And as we know, like with money and physique, it doesn't fulfill you. But at the other end of suffering does exist usually a greater version of yourself. So as soon as I started to see this happen, I said to myself, well, okay, so this is discipline. This is gratification deferral. This is why I don't talk about motivation with my clients because motivation is very fleeting. Motivation is like candy and discipline is like, you know, uh, your steak and veggies. It's what you need to actually nourish your body. And so, yeah, the, the worst thing I had to deal with was some hunger pangs. And I said, okay, well, if all I have to deal with is some hunger pangs and just kind of putting off this, this gratification, you know, these are things that are unbeknownst to me. They were kind of roundabout in my head in a much more rudimentary terms. But now with this lens that I have now, I said, okay, discipline, gratification deferral, I got to suffer for a little bit. And as long as I suffer for a little bit, um, I'm going to reap the rewards long-term, if that makes sense. Yeah. The divinity of suffering. You got to say a little more about that. Like that's a deep thought. Let's not gloss over that. The divinity, there's a divinity in suffering. Yeah, there is a divinity in suffering. I mean, look at Christ on the cross, right? I don't mean to make this too, too, you know, all about faith, but you know, that's, that's my life, you know, and, and especially coming off the backs of being, being baptized is that Jesus could have eviscerated his enemies and he chose not to. He could have, you know, uh, taken the pain relief on the cross and he chose not to. And at the other end of that was this divine example of what suffering yields, right? And that's on a great grand scale, 
right? And so what I think is so lost on modern men is that lack of suffering. And I don't mean suffering just for the sake of suffering, right? I mean, suffering, for example, I moved here and I had to move my business and leave everybody behind. That was divine suffering because now, praise God, I'm, I'm reaping the benefits. I'm, I'm, I'm reaping what I, I had sown. And the same thing for weight loss and the same thing for getting stronger and the same thing for uh, building a business is that you do not see the rewards of or the fruits of your toil for a long time. And so to get there, to get any point where you're financially successful or you're uh, successful in your physique or you attain a great level of strength, there's a process of suffering that is necessary. And I think that's why, you know, it's the plight of the modern man is that, you know, he suffers because of himself versus suffering for a greater cause like his family or for his better health or a better financial situation. Let's make this, Mike, let's make it really practical because lots of guys online are talking about suffering right now. And and what drives me nuts is when it's like, you got to do hard things, take a mm. cold shower every day. And I'm like, okay, that's hard. Sure. That's like uncomfortable. You know, what's really hard is when my son is just like kicking his brother in the face and mm. me holding on to my emotions or when my wife and I have some tension and I know I have to apologize, but my damn pride won't let me. Those things are really hard. Those things cause me actual suffering. Can you talk about, give us some examples of like, because lots of guys are like selling suffering. Dude, Adrian, you nailed it, man, because the suffering is on a micro level too. It's not always these big things. You're totally right. It's like these arbitrary things that we're supposed to do every day, like take a cold shower and all this stuff. It's like, dude, that's all honestly, for lack of a better term, masturbatory, because it's just, it's not, you're not doing anything, right? <laughs> I've no. never heard that term, Mike. That's a good one. It is. It's yeah, just yeah, so yeah. masturbatory. It's like, you're doing this arbitrary thing. You're suffering for what reason? Like, come on, dude, like be real. What well, I can give you a practical example. You just yeah. use kids, right? For me, you know, when I was running my personal training studio in Vancouver, I would have 12, 13 hour days and I'd come home and it was, I wasn't paying attention to my wife and I was being the angry guy and I was being, you know, quick to anger. And it took me a long time to forgive where there is suffering in those little things where I'm just choosing now when I come home from work, luckily I don't have to work those long hours anymore, but it's a choice to suffer in my own anger when let's say my wife ticks me off, but I choose not to do that. Yeah. Or when my daughter's running amok and she's acting crazy or my dog's not listening to me, it's not flipping out. It's choosing to internalize those emotions, not showing them. And it, dude, I fail a lot, right? I'm not... Don't pretend to be this monk because I'm totally not. I'm still an intense person. But much to your point, there is divinity in those little moments of suffering as well, is that controlling those emotions and maintaining that equanimity, which is just that mental calmness under duress is so, so important. That's a beautiful point, dude. I think it's just like it is. Those are the moments that establish me as a man. Like I lift every day, right, Mike? Like it's it's in my system. I'm not going to miss the gym. That's a normalized behavior. Or I walk every day. I'm, I'm I'm good on my nutrition. But it's those moments where I'm really tested. It's yeah. the moments of like, oh my, again, like we're doing this again, eight year old son. Like this, and and I just I have to really ground myself. And what grounds me? And I want to come to your language here is I'm trying to keep in mind the glorious version of myself. I like how you said that. A lot of guys online are trashing men. Men are too lazy. Men don't do anything. Men are men just fall on the couch. Let's not do that. Can you paint a picture of the glorious man? Let's call him that, the glorious man. I think that's a good, maybe the title of our, what does he look like? What are his attributes? 
and and feel free, Mike. I know not everyone's a a believer, but Christ did teach us a lot. Maybe some of his attributes we can bring into here as well. He well, he is the most glorious version of man, and and mm. we all fall short of the glory of God. Let's just let's just let's just put that out there. So putting that absolute example of the masculine ideal aside, a, a good friend of mine, Kurt Storing, who runs the Dad Work podcast and Instagram page, I think his quote is "Equipped to lead." Uh, hard to kill and easy to love. And so those three things in in combination with each other, I think really do encompass the the glorious man. Because if you're not equipped to lead, then who's leading the household? The household is headless. If you're not hard to kill, then you're weak and you can't defend your family. And if you're not easy to love, well, then you're probably just a tyrant. Equipped to lead. So equipped to lead is a what is that tactical? What do you think? I like Kurt. Kurt's, Kurt's been on this pod as well. I, re- I really like his work equipped to leave is that a skill set like is it a particular skill set that men need to develop well i mean to interject faith into this i don't think somebody can really be sort of the patriarch of their household without that submission to that higher standard i think if you're not submitted to christ or that godly ideal i think that leads to tyrannical behavior so that's number one um practical things right is 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 being quick to forgive and slow to anger mm. so if we're talking in you know normal layman's terms and so being able to be decisive and make decisions, that's also very important. Also being equipped to lead means you have a direction in which you're, you're, you're taking your family, right? And that doesn't mean that you don't, you know, seek counsel from your wife, right? Before anybody takes a step back and says, oh, this guy said patriarch, dude, just relax for a second, right? Let's get out of our emotions when it comes to these words is that you have a direction that you want to steer the ship in, right? My wife is my very willing co-pilot and I'm the captain and I don't, it's not that I'm negating what she has to say, but those are all practical tips. I'm steering the ship. Yeah. And I think, you know, people who miss the, the, you know, Ephesians five, when people miss the point that the man is willing to die, like, let's, yes. let's not forget that point. That is the key point that, that people often miss. Okay. So we've got this equipped to lead. Uh, we're going to get, we're going to, we're going to tag Kurt in these episodes here. Okay. We're giving him a yes. lot of shout outs here. I like this a lot. Okay. Hard to kill. So this is the physical part of a, of the glorious man. I've been debating this a lot. How fit does this man have to be? You're a fitness guy. Does he have to be ripped? Does he have to be super strong? Talk about fitness. Cause this is one that I struggle with a little bit. Yeah, I think people exist too too far on on polarities on both sides. So you have some people on the other side that are like, you know, your natural body is best and da da da, which I think is wrong because that just leads to the dad bod situation, right? And that stereotype. But then on the opposite end, you have the guy that's the selfish sort of bodybuilder, powerlifter guy that's ne- neglecting his family. So it's hard for me to really answer that as a fitness guy. You know, my whole life is fitness, right? But I very I make sure to situate my workouts and everything that I do around my family, not my family around my fitness. So I think it's a matter of prioritization, number one. And to to, to make it into sort of like this archetypal figure, it, it's hard to do. I just think it would behoove you to have low body fat to last a long time for your for your family. I think that's practical. It would also behoove you to be strong. Now, do you have to be an elite level powerlifter to be strong? Are there certain like body weight metrics in terms of how much you can lift? I mean, sure, we can kind of go down that. But I think I think it's futile because as long as you're in the gym and doing some kind of resistance training, actually, okay, let me pull back for a second. A man should do some kind of resistance training. 100%. Is that a metaphor? Are you actually like that? That could actually be metaphorical the way you've said that. Like it totally can be right. Yeah. yeah resistance yeah. in, you know, uh, you know, you're praying constantly. You're trying to keep yourself spiritually equipped. Also being able to, like I said, maintain that equanimity. So you're calm for your kids and for your family. 
And then also, you know, being able to fight in case there's an intruder, those are all practical, those are all practical things. You can also make it very metaphorical for sure. But in this sense that I'm speaking about it, it's definitely practical is that do you have to be a bodybuilder or a powerlifter? No. But you should have, you know, lower body fat levels, let's say sub 20% at least, because that just means you're healthier. Who cares about the abs that you have, whether it's two pack, four pack, six pack, whatever. You know, some people can't get a six pack. That's not realistic for them. That's fine. You also have to weigh in. What is the guy doing for a living too? Because all that stuff, it matters. If you're a roofer or you're in the trades and, you know, you're working outside all the time in minus 40 or plus 40, it's going to be hard for me to say, hey, bro, you should get into the gym five days a week. And Come on, man, work harder. Like nobody cares, work harder. It's like, dude, that guy's already working hard for his family. Mm. But it would still behoove that guy to get into the gym at least a couple times a week so he can build his body. And in building his body, he builds his mind and his spirit because it's a shame for a man to go his lifetime without seeing what his body is capable of. And that's I'm paraphrasing that quote that gets circulated around Instagram a lot and you see yeah. it everywhere, right? <laughs> no, but I like that. I, I think it at times, even for a man with an incredibly physically demanding job, it is a great like test. Like, could I for four months eat at in a calorie deficit to do some resistance training because the suffering there, I, I think it's good practice. I don't think you have to live at 6% body fat. That's you'd probably just be cranky all the time to your kids. Yeah. But some of those tests might be worthwhile. So what would you say? I want to stay on fitness hard to kill. We're still being hard to kill. What yeah. would you say to someone who says, well, my family, like, you know, like they, they would almost use it as a limiting belief in the sense of like, I can't go to the gym. My family needs me at home. Is that a limiting belief? Is it an excuse? Or is it like, how would you respond to that? I think that's an excuse. You know, I I don't think becoming a father or a husband is an accomplishment in and of itself. Mm. Don't hang your hat. You can't hang your hat on that. Just like you can't hang your hat on just being a provider. Those are just like, that's the barrier to entry. Protecting, providing, presiding is what you need to be doing already. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> so much. Protecting, providing, and presiding. Those are the three that men, that's, that's just like, this is what it is. Like, period. That's standard issue, man. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so I was the guy that hung my hat on. Okay. I was the protector. I was the provider. I did all these things. Boom. I'm done. No, man. No, man. Using your family as an excuse not to get to the gym, I think is a detriment to you and your family. I think in that way, not to call a man a failure for doing that. I think you really need to reevaluate where the intentions um, from that statement come from, because it, it, any reasonable person, if you sat your wife down and said, listen, I'm going to take these three or four months, you know, you might not, you might, you know, not get the fullest extent of me just for this finite period of time that I need to get into the gym and be healthier. The reason is not to become a bodybuilder or a powerlifter or whatever. It's so I can become healthier so I can serve you better. And that's very practical. Yeah, that's very practical, right? It's totally practical. And my wife knows when I let work get too much, when I stop like taking care of myself physically, I'm way worse as a dad way worse as a husband, right? Because I've just allowed compromise everywhere. And so if I compromise on this thing, I compromise on that thing. I do believe that how we do anything is how we do everything. So mm -hmm. the protecting, providing, presiding is just the, that's not the glorious man. Mike, what I'd like to get into a little bit here is you've now taken a wonderful, fast growing message online. What has driven that for you? Like, tell us about the message a little bit, like where your you're taking the things you've learned and what, like what's, what's driven that for you? Well, what's driven that is, is a couple of things. One, 
I've sort of in a way run men's have run men's groups at my gym for years. All these close, close friends of mine and, and clients of mine. And we've all got together and, and, and talked about this, these things that men typically talk about how to become better, what we're struggling with, you know, you know, all of these things. And so I, I always thought to myself, how do I direct this message in a clear way? That's not just surrounded by fitness. It's in a very um, practical sense around those things. But then also I stepped into it after becoming a father. But furthermore, even more than that is after I became baptized, mm-hmm. I felt this, this calling because I said to myself, you know, God, God kind of gave it to me in prayer is that I've kind of got this bold voice. I know how to speak clearly and I know how to write clearly. I, I need to do something with this. And I, I remember being upstairs in my house and telling my wife, I, it was like the first week of October. It was right before my, my, my daughter turned one. I said, take a picture of me. She's like, why? I'm like, I'm starting this man page. I have no idea where it's going to go, but I think I've come from being in brief intervention unit, psych wards, being on uh, antidepressants, anti-anxieties, uh, using recreational drugs, being addicted to these drugs and to alcohol, being promiscuous, being addicted to porn, being suicidal. And I've overcome all those things. And now, man, I have a beautiful daughter, I have a beautiful wife, a beautiful life and a dog and a beautiful career that fulfills me. I think, okay, I'm not 30 yet, but at least there's at least the last few years have left some clues. And I think that could be of aid to some men. And so that was sort of the impetus. What messages as you're putting things out, what messages are landing the most for men, would you say? There's a couple of things. Um, the lust stuff that I that I talk about and pornography and promiscuity and being anti-red pill really, really hits with people because this confused me and deceived me for a long time. And there's a lot of men that reach out to me behind the scenes. Like I am so overwhelmed by the response that I, you know, praise God, dude, because not a shred of it's gotten to my head. If anything, it's softened my heart even more because so many men are suffering. And when they see a message that I believe is pure, they latch onto it. So the stuff about lust and promiscuity, because a lot of men are in this vicious cycle where they're enslaved using that word again by their, their lust. And what we know about lust is that, you know, a lustful appetite is never satisfied. Right. And and there's these men that are walking around with these, these God sides voids in their stomach and they're looking in the wrong places. They're looking at Andrew Tate. They're looking at the red pill. They're. Can I, can I, can I pause you for a second? And I might be an idiot here. I was doing reeks. I see, I've seen you write about the red pill. Can you tell me what it is? Because I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't have a clear understanding of what red pill is, aside from Neo and Morpheus when you know when it first came out. Well, yeah, relating to that, so the blue pill, uh, let's say blue pill version of love and romance is the Disneyland version, where just be yourself, give your all to the woman, you know, uh, uh, essentially putting her on a pedestal, right? And so a lot of these blue pill guys end up sort of you know cheated on and and stuff like that because they end up sort of weak. And I was like this for a long time. I was the guy that was on his knees begging for his girlfriend to forgive him. And I wasn't, I wasn't exemplifying any masculine traits. I was at the mercy of, 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 of woman's validation. Now, what I realized about red pill is that it's much in the same, but it's different. It's a little bit more. You have to kind of peel back the layers to see that these guys are no different than the blue pill guys. It's just, they're using a different guys. So red pill sort of dispels that. The red pill, Neo takes the red pill. He, chooses he does take to, the red pill. He chooses to leave the matrix. Exactly. And it opens his eyes? Exactly. So the blue pill is like happy wife, happy life, right? That's the way I can put it. People understand what I'm saying when I say that. Yep. 
at the core of the red pill is essentially all about sexual conquest and how they sort of peel back the layers is that there's this idea that women are, are hypergamous. They're always looking to monkey branch to the more superior male, that there's no such thing as female loyalty. You should never get married because, you know, marriage is a, you know, a losing game for men. Don't have kids, you know, don't shackle yourself to the system, spin plates, which means see multiple women. So you see what you like, you know what you like, maintain that abundance mentality, maintain a harem of women, you know, become this sort of archetypal bad boy playboy guy. Okay. And so, that you sounds terrible. Saying? Is there a good option here? Both of these options sound terrible. They're terrible. But when you're a guy like me, when I discovered the red pill, it's like, oh my God, these are all the things that I was doing. I was trying to supplicate to women and placate to them all the time. And I would just get slapped in the face. These men are sleeping around, but they also complain that there are not enough chaste women out there. Mm-hmm. So the veil has been lifted from their eyes. They're like, okay, I need to represent these dark triad traits, which really is just like sociopathy. And uh, psychological manipulation and gaslighting. Yeah, you know what? That works to, to, to women that are not, you know, grounded in the faith or have a lot of confidence or a lot of self-esteem. That'll work. But really, you're just like creating these problems in perpetuity. The same things that you're complaining about, you're 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 contributing to. So the red pill and the blue pill. So I'm picturing this scene. Neo has the option, and I think men. We have. I, I love. I mean, I. Dude, that came out when I was in high school. When he does the drop kick, we were all like, "This is yeah. the coolest thing in the world, right?" And like, oh my goodness! So, in that moment, where did we go wrong? Like, I thought that was a great illustration. Okay, yes, you 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 need to choose for yourself. That's what I think the Matrix says. You need to make choices. See how deep the rabbit hole goes. Mm-hmm. You can't just be a happy wife, happy life. Oh, let me check with my like like I hate that when you ask guys how are, like can we hang out or can you, well, I got to check. I got, and it's like, absolutely. I understand collaboration in a marriage, but the excuses like, and so, so what, is there another option here, Mike? Is there another option than the blue pill or the red pill? Or is there one that we can learn from here? Cause I hear it talked about online a lot and I, and I don't exactly know what to do with any of this. The way the superior man is the man that tries to exemplify Christ and embody Christ and his virtues, because that's to me is what true masculinity is. It's restraint. It's, it's leading with love and kindness. And, and and if we're talking about some practical steps here for guys, it's like, okay, get in the gym, get in better shape, start to eat better, improve your finances. Those are all great things, right? Those are all awesome things. Also, keep yourself grounded in the word. And I'm just going to put it in people's faces, man. There are a lot of people that are asleep at the wheel is that there is a spiritual faith, not spiritual, because the spiritual new age stuff is all garbage because it's, it's, it's just garbage. It's just like self-aggrandizement packaged as... I'm doing the work and I'm healing. No, there's no healing in that because in that arrogant sort of pursuit of healing, you're just creating more reasons to heal yourself mm. where stop looking for horizontally, which we can only be found vertically. And I see what I say to guys is, and especially guys that sort of doubt this is say, okay, do all of these practical things, but also work towards having a relationship with Jesus Christ and embody those traits. And what do I mean by embody those traits? Stop looking at pornography. Stop masturbating to your lustful thoughts. That's also very important. You guys are like, oh my God, stop having premarital sex. Put to death all of those things. You know, and, and guys are listening to this and like, dude, what is this guy talking about? This guy sounds like a religious nut. I've experienced what it, the difference in being a Christian and being a disciple. Mm. A lot of people call themselves Christians and Catholics. But it's just a title. To be a disciple means you're trying to walk that narrow path. And I'm not, I'm, I don't come from a position of righteousness, righteousness or authority, man. I'm fallen just like every other man, right? But in, in those things, in stopping the pornography a long time ago, stopping drinking, stopping smoking weed, all of these things, and trying to be more Christ-like, 
the contentment, the grace, the changes in my marriage, the changes in my demeanor and how angry I am. I can't even put it into words, man. You are putting them to death. I like that language. Uh, you know, we've talked about Ephesians a little bit. It's put off, put on. You you put off certain things so that you create space for the glorious man, the superior man. Okay, so so talk about as we're wrapping up a little bit here, how do men so let's say a man says, uh, kids, you need to stay off your cell phones. Screens are bad, right? Let's use that as an example, highly applicable example. And then he's on his phone in front of his kids, you know, despite his best. And are we supposed to say to that man, how dare you? How did like, how does forgiveness factor into this whole thing? You know, I, I did a post today about like quick comebacks. My friend Kyle talks about like quick comebacks. You make men are going to make mistakes no matter how glorious they are. We're not like Jesus. So we're going to all make mistakes. Talk about forgiveness, grace, men who like are trying and then mess up. Well, to go back to your initial point about you being on the phone and your kids not being on the phone, dude, there's some certain family members that that preach this. Do as I say, not as I do. Talk about bull crap, bro. Really? That's how you're leading your home? You're not leading by example? You're just going to say, do as I say, not as I do? Get out of here with that juvenile stuff. That's not how you lead a home. That's why your wife resents you. That's why your kids are afraid of you. Because you're, you're, it's, it's dysfunctional leadership. It's weak, man. It's weak. Cause if you're not doing, you're not leading the charge, men lead from the front. That's it. You know what I mean? Burn the boats. You lean from the front, dude. So what does that mean? You use the cell phones, Mike. This is, this is, this is like a battle for guys. This is a huge battle. I'm not like I, a lot of guys like that to me is like a metaphor of like self-control of restraint. What does it mean? They leave the car boat phone in the car. Like some guys. And again, our friend Craig was on our show a few weeks ago. He goes, it's not your fault you're addicted to your phone. It's MIT and all, you know, the, the, all the all the scientists who are like making mm. your phones highly addictive. They, that's It's an addictive substance. We know this. What does that look like with the cell phone? Let's make it super practical to leave from the lead from the front. Your thoughts yeah, so on when that? I'm up, yeah, so when I'm upstairs, either, you know, helping my wife get my daughter together in the morning or putting her to bed, I just leave it on the bottom floor. I just leave it there. If I have to take my watch off, we're so connected that we become disconnected with our families. Hey, listen, I, I'm the first to say that I struggle with it too. And a lot of men that I respect in the space have vocalized too that they they struggle with it as well. Just like you said, it's very addictive by design. But to be practical about it, it's turn it off, keep it in the bottom floor, keep it in your truck if you have to, take your watch off like I've had to, so you can be connected in the present. And it's hard to, man, because if you're a guy with things on the go and you're and you have a lot of ambition, I, I live in a permanent state of like blissful that dissatisfaction because I'm always thinking about tomorrow. Yeah. But I'm happy with my situation, but I'm always thinking about tomorrow. And that's to our detriment. And my wife is such an amazing influence on my life in this way because she knows how to be present and she knows how to kind of ground me and bring me into the present. Yeah. So phones. How dare you? Anything else, Mike? You see, I, I like to make these really practical. What's another? Does it have to do with like, you know, we, we had a guest on a while ago. He was vulgar. He goes, you, if you don't know your kid's macros, then you're messing up. But he used the F word. But, you know, like mm. if you don't know the math, is it is it like how I model eating? Is it how I model anger? What are the things that I need to have like locked in in front of my family for me to say, look, there's the not the glorious man, but moving towards the gloriousness. I just think anything that you expect of your kids to do, you must also already be doing. Yeah. 
That's just a blanket statement rule. You can apply to anything. The same thing with your wife. Like you want her to be calmer and better with you. You start by being calm. I The one video that got kind of my page some attention, um, Jack Donovan, I think, shared uh, one of my videos and then Ryan King found it. And then there was this one, there was this one uh, video and I was saying, stop giving your wife the scraps at the end of the day. The reason why your household's in disorder is because you're coming home. And the reason why she's nagging you is because you're just, you're not doing your job. You're not being calm. You're not being easy to love. You're not leading her properly. You're expecting her to be submissive to you and to be this a good wife and all of those things, but you're failing yourself, man. How, how can you demand something from your kids or from your wife when you're not already doing those things? To me, that's a fundamental lack of leadership. And to me, that's actually a failure of a leader. It's character, man. Character, character. counts. It's, it's character. It is. My dad always says character counts twice. He likes to say, you know what I mean? Character. It is character. Leadership oh, rises. Man. Yeah. On influence. So, okay. No one's perfect though. What do you do when you, when you mess up? Like, what do you do? Uh, your wife, Karen, like, do you, do you go to apologize? Like, how do you, how do you come back? So many guys make mistakes and then they say to themselves, well, like F it, like, forget it. Like, you know, I'll just, whatever I'm going. Then, you know, then they might stay up late. They might, uh, they might masturbate. They might do these things mm-hmm. almost like, well, I'm already on, I'm already off the, I'm already off the, the, the boat. I might as well just go all the way. How would you respond to that? Like downward spiral i'd call it i think it takes self-reflection just pulling yourself out of the situation for a bit and being alone i know that's what i need and sometimes me and my wife go back and forth on that because she she's like she likes to be she likes to solve things in the moment and that's a beautiful trait i love that i love that about her and a lot of times that works but a lot of times it doesn't and so what does work for a guy like me who's kind of i'm an energetic guy but i need to be reclusive at times to re-energize and to reflect and so I need that time to recede back into my shell momentarily. And how I solve these things is by saying sorry. Men know when they're wrong. And that's oftentimes the hardest word to say. The hardest words to say is I'm sorry, right? But the impact is dramatic. Mm. And not just saying I'm sorry, because anybody can say I'm sorry. And it's just they're used, they're just words, but also back that with action. Yeah. Back that with like, one of my most impactful books I've ever read was uh, The Power of One More by Ed Milet. And I mentioned this in all these podcasts that I'm doing is because it's been so impactful on me is every time, let's say my wife, let's say makes me angry. Just like, just be calm one more time. Mm. It doesn't mean you're going to succeed all the time, but just try to be consistent in that. Just be calm one more time. Just be loving one more time. Give her that hug that you don't want to give her. You know, you, you, we all know our wives very well. They They have these look on their faces where you're like, man, they just... They just need us to be there. Go and give her a hug. Sometimes it doesn't even require you to say anything. It just requires you just to embrace her and give her a kiss on the forehead. She wants to feel that presence and that strength. She wants to feel that embrace, that remorse, and she wants to feel your strength and your fortitude. But not just the strength and your fortitude, but she wants to feel that softness as well. Mm. Right? You can't just be brash all the time. You can't just be this manly dude pounding his chest all the time. I'm that guy. I'm intense in the gym. You know, people think I'm this like hyper aggressive guy in a lot of ways that I am, but they don't see when I'm rolling around with my daughter. And when I look at her for too long, I start to cry because I'm like, man, what did I do to deserve this? What a beautiful soul. Or I think about my wife and how beautiful she is in serving our household and how much of an amazing mother she is. I I look at it and I'm like, I could never do your job. Mm. And you deserve that tenderness. What What's the feeling, Mike, You when you look at your daughter? When you look at your wife, 
can, can you put a feeling on that? Like, what, what do you feel in those moments? Immense gratitude. Yeah. It's just immense gratitude because just like the favor God gives us, we're, we're not worthy of it. And a lot of times, I mean, that could go both ways. That could be a very dangerous thing too, where you're like, I don't feel worthy of any of this stuff. But when I look at it, I said, man, what did I do to deserve this? This is amazing. Like this yeah. is, I'm just so grateful. So it would really behoove me to be a little more tender, be a little, you know, be a little slower to anger, be a little, a little quicker to forgive. We've been given mercy, boundless amounts of mercy and grace. So who are we not to show that to, to, to our wives and to our kids? Because love flows from the father to men and then downstream to our families. It's up to us to lead with love. And if you want to paint a picture of the, the actualized man, and this is what I'm so trying so hard to do. And so I know the middle part of this conversation, I seem quite angry about this red pill stuff. And it, I, I like to call it righteous anger, but I know a lot of times. It I, is I, I triggered you for the record on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you yeah. did. It was good, yeah, man. Yeah, Italian yeah. triggering, triggering that's another it. Italian, that's man. It. That's right. You pop off. That's right. Um, but, go with yeah. the actualized man. The actualized, the actualized man. man is just, even when I'm at the gym or when I'm seeing people, I'm I am every time in my head, especially when I have a particularly rough morning, I'm like just double down on kindness. I try to lift everybody up. I'm trying not to talk about myself. I'm trying to see somebody in the gym and I'm trying to tell them they're doing a great job, that I'm proud of them and all this stuff. And not this cheesy rah-rah way, in a genuine way. And then you see the way people receive that. So if you see the way other people receive that, it's so funny because so many of us, especially if we're in a service-based business, it's so easy for us to do that to our clients and to our friends. But it's, why is it harder to do that to our wives and to our kids? Yeah, We should be doing that even more with them. I know. Not, how did you say it before? Stop giving your wife the scraps. the scraps. Hey, Mike, what's the name of your gym? It's Forza, right? Yeah, it's Forza Barbell. So strength in Italian, Forza Barbell, yeah. How would you say that? My dad, funny story about Forza. We were cross-country runners growing up. Me, my brother Vince, Vince obviously, and our younger brother. And be running in the woods, and my father would just like appear in the woods. Like he would be out there. He was a cross country run. He knew the quiet spots of, the, and he'd say Forza. You know, he'd just like whisper it almost like Forza. That's an Italian word. What is that? What was? What does that encompass? As you describing, like double down on kindness in the gym, lifting people up. Is that what the Forza is? Like, is it? Yes. Yeah. That's your strength in in physicality. Actually, that's sort of like on the peripheral of what it actually means. The foundation of that is strength of character, which means, mm. you know, being Christ-like, raising other people up before yourself, being selfless. That takes strength. Like equanimity is one of my favorite words because it just means mental calmness under duress, but that also can be related to strength because a cornerstone and a foundation of, of ma- a manhood and masculinity is strength. But what so men, so many men get confused nowadays is that it's, it's so much focused on the hyper-masculine, aggressive, MMA fighter, power lifter, rah, rah, you know, smash yourself in the head with the bar. Dude, that's not, that's a small piece of strength, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Strength is being gentle with my daughter and playing with her and, you know, being that blueprint of a man for her that I need to be. That means hugging my wife when I don't want to. Mm. And that means when she's like pouring out her emotions, it's not trying to solve those problems, but just being there and being still. It's like the warrior who has the sword. He wields all the power and yet he chooses not to use it or to give it away. You know what I mean? He's just Bro, like, yeah. Yes. 
Yeah. It's the, it's the warrior in the garden, right? And so the, the, the actual definition of the word meek, so the meek shall inherit the, wor- the earth, is men that have swords and know how to use them but keep them sheathed will inherit the world. So when you said that, that immediately came to mind. That is exactly what meek is. Meekness is not weakness. Let's not conflate the two. It's choosing. Yeah. Yes. I like I like that. Okay, we're running. We're almost at the end of our time. Before we tend me- uh, um, send men or tell men where to find you, We've referred to this verse a few times in our passage, in our conversation from Ephesians 4, where we put off the old self, put on the new self. In one of the versions of the verse that I read, it talked about the man, this man becoming the renewed man. Uh, You've referred to your baptism. Does that word land at all for you? We've talked about the glorious man, the actualized man. I I thought, thought the word renewed was really interesting. Any thoughts on that before we wrap up? No, renewed man is, I think it puts it even better than the the, the, the glorious man, mm. because that means it's implying that your old flesh is gone. Your old wine skin is no more. You have a new skin. You've been made new. So when I emerge from that water, although I'm still imperfect and will always fall short of the glory of God, I know this, I'm not going to about to get into some legalism in my Christianity, my faith walk, but being renewed man means putting those old behaviors and traits to death as much as we possibly can. That's and but but also with being the renewed man requires a daily renewal. It does, doesn't it? Reflection, prayer, uh, working out. Uh, the last how, guy how was about a, this, Adrian. Yeah, Sorry to interrupt yeah, you, but like yeah. when, when it comes to your marriage, this is what I mean. So many marriages fail because it's based off of the, these this dopamine oxytocin of uh, I feel in love. No, the marriages that have lasted decades and decades, those people wake up choosing every day to renew that choice to love their partner. Yeah. And it doesn't mean, you know, to f- feel these 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 butterflies in their stomach is to be of service to them and to be uh slow to anger, quick to forgive and be merciful and service them, be of service to them, being the servant savage as Bedros Kulian uh says often. Yeah, I like that. I I put a post up as our anniversary the other day and and I said what makes our marriage work is that we freaking empty the dishwasher. <laughs> that's yeah. like that's it. That's where it is, right? Uh Mike, where can other guys find you? You, uh, on my page, so my fitness page, which I'm not too active on, is Forza Barbell, and but the one that I am super passionate on fire for, with all this sort of uh, you know writing about faith and masculinity, is Mike Pantile. So it's just Mike M I K E P A N T I L E uh, on Instagram. All right, man. This has been so great, so rich. I'm trying to. I always like thinking as the conversation's going. What would the title be? And I've got so much to work with. The glorious man, the meek man. Like meek is not what you think. Uh, so thank you, Mike. This has been so rich, Adrian. I sincerely appreciate your invite, man. I know I do it. I know we did this last minute. And I made sure that I cleared everything to make this work. I appreciate you. You, what you're doing with the men of Bedrock is honestly inspiring, bro. I, I really appreciate you, man. I grateful and God bless you. Yo, yo, thank you so much for listening. I hope you got a ton of value. And as a token of my appreciation for enjoying the show, if you don't mind leaving a five-star rating as well as a genuine review, whether it's a sentence or a paragraph, that's up to you. I would like to extend my gratitude by sending you a free sample of my all-day energy formula, Preload. It is the world's only all-day energy and focus formula, and you will love it. All you got to do is head on over to iTunes, leave a rating, leave a review, take a screenshot, and then send it over to me on my Instagram account at Vince Del Monte with your home address, and we will get that shipped out. You are amazing. Thank you, and we'll see you in the next episode.